to the Red Light Report, your number one source for all things red light therapy, where you will learn how to optimize your health, wellness, and longevity with the power of photobiomodulation. I'm your host, Dr. Mike Belkowski. Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Red Light Report, another solo-sode, I should say, as we'll continue plugging and chugging along the Red Light Therapy Treatment Protocols ebook that we've been doing for the last couple of weeks now. But before we continue on that exciting adventure, I do have a very exciting announcement, and this is uh, relating to BioLite. I'm excited to announce that soon we are planning to officially launch an open investment campaign allowing our BioLite community members, friends, and early BioLite supporters to own a stake in the company. So this is a very, very unique opportunity uh, for those interested and excited by red light therapy and that really believe in the brand and the company that BioLite is. Uh, if you want to go check out the campaign, it's currently in its pre-launch mode. You can go check it out at republic.com slash BioLite. Again, it's in its pre-launch mode, meaning you can go look at the page, see what information we have out there, and also you'd be able to reserve your spot or reserve your investment into BioLite once the campaign does officially launch. And of course, I'll be informing you guys, you know, through the podcast and through through email, through social media when the BioLite Republic campaign does officially launch. So again, you can go check that out at republic.com slash BioLite. Let's continue on with the ebook. And so as a friendly reminder, two weeks ago, we covered the important concepts of red light therapy, which had four or five different subtopics related to that. And then last week, we started trudging through the different health and wellness benefits that are supported by the literature as far as what red light therapy can do. And so the first four topics we covered last week were anxiety and depression, athletic performance, brain and nerve health, and bone and joint health. And so we're going to keep moving along this week into eye health, fat loss, hair health or hair loss, hair health, and herpes. I think that's what we'll cover today. Potentially inflammation if we have enough time, but if not, we'll move inflammation into the subsequent solo sode. Without further ado, let's dig into eye health and see what red light therapy has to offer. And this is one where I get a ton of questions because, of course, we're concerned not only about the health of our eyes, but the safety as it relates to red light therapy. Because just like the sun, when you have your red light therapy device turned on, that visible red light is extremely bright. There's a lot of concern about your eye health. Should you look at it? Should you protect it? As an expert in the field and as someone who owns a red light therapy company, I always err on the side of, of course, you want to protect your eyes. But also, this is what the research has to say. There are a myriad of health benefits as it relates to red and near-infrared light and eye health. And that's because the eye is very energy intensive, thus it is very mitochondrial dense, which then kind of clarifies how and why eyes have so much potential healing with red and near infrared light. Again, the caveat is that the red light is so bright that you don't want to damage your vision or damage your eyes because that is a serious concern. And so I want people to know before we even dig into the topic much further, I want people to know 
that the research that is done on eyes with photobiomodulation, the dosages and the power of the light is much lower than the majority of other treatments. For example, the skin or pain or anxiety or treating the bones. The dosage is much lower and the power is much lower. So you wouldn't be staring straight into a red light therapy panel from 6 or 12 inches away because the sheer brightness of that light would not be conducive for health. In fact, it would be more so doing damage, of course, just like looking straight into the sun. So I want people to know that there's two sides of the fence here. The safety part is purely because of that sheer brightness of the red light. Of course, near-infrared is invisible, so that doesn't have that potential damage to our eyes. It's that bright, bright, bright red light from the LEDs. There's that safety concern, and that's why protective goggles are included with the purchase of red light therapy devices. And then the other side of the fence is, of course, all of those health benefits, the age-related macular degeneration, improving vision, improving color acuity, and things of this nature. And so there are a lot of benefits to be had. But again, the dosage is much lower than other treatments. So whenever you are doing red light therapy treatments for your eye, proceed with caution, really understand what you're getting into and what the specific parameters and dosages are because you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to cause any damage to your eyes. You do want to reap those benefits, but not put yourself in danger. So I do want people just to know that, that there are two sides of the coin. Yes, the brightness can cause damage, but yes, red light therapy can be extremely beneficial for eye health. So let's move on into the section with all of that being said. Mitochondrial dysfunction and oxidative damage to the retina have been implicated in many forms of retinal injury and degeneration, including methanol intoxication, light-induced retinal damage, age-related macular degeneration, and retinous pigmentosa. Mitochondrial repair and attenuation of oxidative stress are critical to the long-term survival of the retina. Low-intensity far-red to near-infrared light have been shown to act on mitochondria-mediated signaling pathways to preserve mitochondrial function, attenuate oxidative stress, stimulate the production of cytoprotective factors, and prevent neuronal death in cultured neurons and in animal models of neuronal injury and disease. Near-infrared photons penetrate the brain, retina, and optic nerve, and this treatment, commonly known as photobiomodulation, has documented efficacy in the prevention and treatment of neurodegenerative diseases in experimental and clinical studies. Numerous studies have documented the therapeutic potential and mechanisms of action of photobiomodulation in the treatment and pathogenesis of retinal injury and disease. According to the research, here are some of the ways that red light therapy can help mitigate eye damage and improve retinal health. The first one is light-induced retinal damage. Oxidative damage produced by photooxidation of the photoreceptor outer segments is widely accepted as the initiating event in light-induced retinal damage. In addition to structural changes to the retina, there is the induction of an inflammatory state characterized by an invasion of the outer retina by activated microglia. Several studies have shown that red light therapy is protective against light-induced retinal degeneration administered before, during, or after exposure to 
light-induced retinal damage protected photoreceptor function, which was seen by a reduction in photoreceptor cell death and inflammatory stress biomarkers in the retina. Pre-treatment with photobiomodulation proved to be most effective against light-induced retinal damage compared to treatment during or after light-induced retinal damage. Research findings indicate the red light therapy pretreatment attenuates oxidative damage to photoreceptors and reduces inflammation, which may reduce the stimulation of the complement cascade, thus further protecting photoreceptors. The next topic is age-related macular degeneration. Progression of age-related macular degeneration, or AMD, is characterized by accumulation of membranous debris, lipofusion, and extracellular material in complement deposition. The advanced late-stage dry form of AMD, which accounts for 80-90% to of the cases, is characterized by retinal pigment epithelium, or RPE, and outer retinal atrophy. Contributing factors to RPE cell degeneration include mitochondrial dysfunction, oxidative stress, inflammation, and genetic disposition. Since both mitochondria's health and the inflammatory state are influenced by red light therapy, it stood to reason that red and near-infrared light could treat AMD. According to scientific studies, Brief exposure to red light therapy in the aged retina has been shown to increase mitochondrial membrane potential and reduce inflammation. Red light therapy is effective in reducing retinal inflammation, likely by cytochrome C oxidase activation in mice with a genotype similar to that in 50% of AMD patients, even when brief exposures are delivered via environmental lighting. The efficacy in the current research supports current early-stage clinical trials of red light therapy in AMD patients. Since we're talking about the ebook in this episode, I thought, why the heck not give my loyal audience, my loyal podcast listeners, an exclusive discount? The discount is going to be for the lifetime subscription of the Red Light Therapy Treatment Protocols ebook. And what is special about the lifetime subscription is that by purchasing the lifetime subscription, you will be receiving every single ebook that is released because I update the ebook every six months or so. So twice a year, I'll update the ebook, including updated information relative to red light therapy. I'll update the protocols that I currently have, and I'll be adding new protocols as the information comes out. So the ebook is constantly being updated every single year. And again, by getting the lifetime subscription, you pay one price and you receive every single ebook going forward. So let's say we get to, you know, the 30th edition, you just paid one small price for 25, 26 ebooks. So for my loyal listeners, I'm gonna give you guys a 25% discount off the lifetime subscription. And the coupon code is RLTPODCAST. And that is all lowercase because it is case sensitive. Again, that's RLT podcast as in red light therapy podcast. Go to biolight.shop, select the lifetime subscription of the red light therapy treatment protocols ebook, type in RLT podcast and get that bad boy for 25% off. And moving along to the research for eye health, which is very extensive. This might be one of the largest sections of research that I'll go through here. But again, that that shows the efficacy that red light therapy has for eye health. 
So let's move along here to the first piece that says, these findings show that subjects with dry AMD in earlier stages of the disease are more likely to respond better to photobiomodulation compared to subjects with more advanced disease and extensive central tissue loss. And really, that makes sense for most conditions. If the condition is newer, it's going to respond better and quicker to red light therapy, or most treatments for that fact. Whereas if the condition or disease is more chronic, it's going to be more difficult to get those effective results. But that's exactly what that piece of research is saying. In the next one here, and this one's from 2008, it says, LLLT given over a two-week period led to an improvement in visual acuity in most patients with AMD. Unlike other therapeutic approaches, LLLT improved visual acuity in patients with AMD of every stage. This study of a case series shows that LLLT may be a novel therapeutic option for both early and advanced forms of AMD. This simple and highly effective treatment improves visual acuity and may help to prevent loss of vision without adverse side effects. Well, so I just contradicted myself, didn't I? Because that first piece of research is saying it's more difficult to treat in advanced stages of dry AMD, whereas the second piece of research, and again, I don't know the exact treatment protocols, but the second piece of research is stating that regardless of the stage, LLLT or red light therapy is beneficial for AMD or the visual acuity. So that's pretty cool. This third piece, this one's in, from 2011. It says, this study demonstrated that 670 nanometer, which is red light, photobiomodulation ameliorates or improves the damaging effects of bright continuous light on the retina. Treatments with 670 nanometer light before, during, or even after exposure to bright white light led to a significant reduction in photoreceptor cell death and prevented the severe disruption of the outer retina and the RPE. Pretty cool to know that you can utilize red light therapy if uh, you've been exposed to bright white light. You can do it before, during, or after some red light. And it seems to be beneficial and staves off that photoreceptor cell death. Uh, this piece is from 2011. Present data suggests that treatment with red light can lead to significant protection of the retina from LD, or light damage. This treatment has the potential to reduce the adverse effects of bright light exposure. Moreover, this non-invasive therapeutic modality has considerable promise for the treatment of retinal degenerative disorders and ocular inflammatory disease conditions. And that last sentence is the most important to me because that covers a multitude of eye conditions, retinal degenerative disorders, and ocular inflammatory disease conditions. That's a lot of potential for red light therapy and eye health. Uh, moving on here, this piece of research is from 2016. Taken as a whole, these studies in experimental models of retinal and optic nerve injury and disease show that far-red and near-infrared red light therapy improves mitochondrial function, reduces oxidative stress, and modulates inflammatory mediators, leading to decreased apoptosis, which is cell death, and retinal protection, or protection of the retina. Just to move back here, because I think this might be confusing to a lot of people just to hear it. When they're saying far-red and near-infrared, of course we know what near-infrared is, but far-red means the longer wavelength of visible red light. So of course, red light goes from 600 to 700 nanometers, and when they're saying far-red, they're saying 
the visible red that is closest to near infrared, which would be on the right side, if you will, if you're looking at the spectrum. So far red isn't a different color. It's just the longest wavelength of red light that we're used to from our red light therapy panels. So just wanted to clarify that. But regardless, exciting information, of course, and it's starting to get a little repetitive. We're seeing this improvement in mitochondrial function, reduction in oxidative stress, uh, modulates inflammatory mediators, and I would even throw in improves circulation because uh, that typically is going to help out with the healing process as well. This next piece is from 2020, and it says, Photobiomodulation treatment statistically improved clinical and anatomical outcomes with more robust benefits observed in subjects with earlier stages of dry, age-related macular degeneration. Repeated RLT treatments are necessary to maintain benefits. These pilot findings support previous reports and suggest the utility of red light therapy as a safe and effective therapy in subjects with dry, age-related macular degeneration. A lot of feathers going into the cap of red light specifically, uh, helping with symptoms of dry age-related macular degeneration. This piece of research from 2010 says red light LED treatment, so not even laser, LED treatment has an evident protective effect on retinal cells against light-induced damage, which may be an innovative and non-invasive therapeutic approach to prevent or to delay age-related macular degeneration. From 2011, near-infrared photobiomodulation is protective against bright light-induced retinal degeneration, even when near-infrared treatment is applied after exposure to the light. This protective effect appears to involve a reduction of cell death and inflammation. Photobiomodulation has the potential to become an important treatment modality for the prevention or treatment of light-induced stress in the retina. More generally, it could be beneficial in the prevention and treatment of retinal conditions involving inflammatory mechanisms. All of that makes complete sense to us. 2016, this study says, Regarding diabetic retinopathy, the treated eyes using red light of all patients demonstrated a statistically significant decrease in macular thickness by an average of 20%, while non-treated eyes featured a slight increase in thickness by 3% on average. So a 23% difference on average for eyes using red light for patients that had diabetic neuropathy. That's huge. The power of light made a massive difference in the macular thickness. That's huge. Moving on here. In 2020, this study says, um, Our study identified mitochondria-related red light and near-infrared light triggered defense mechanisms promoting photoreceptor neuroprotection. The observed improvement of mitochondrial and extra-mitochondrial respiration in both inner and outer segments is linked with reduced oxidative stress including its cellular consequences and reduced mitochondria-induced apoptosis. And of course, once again, apoptosis is cell death. So a lot of positive things going on in and around the mitochondria inside the eye when exposed to red and or near infrared light. And as you can see, based on the study, some are using just red light, others are using just near-infrared light, and others are using the combination of red and near-infrared light. So that's good to know. In 2011, this study says, 
treatment with red light before, during, or even after exposure to blue light, and of course, blue light is in all types of technology from computer screens to tablets to cell phones and so on. So keep that in mind as we read this one. But again, treatment with red light before, during, or even after exposure to blue light led to significant reduction in photoreceptor cell death and prevented the severe disruption of the outer retina and the retinal pigment epithelium. Photobiomodulation prevented the obliteration of the choroidal vascular network, thus assuring the maintenance of the blood retina barrier. Photobiomodulation also reduced cell stress and inflammatory reaction in the retina. And so this piece of research should be one of the top ones for modern day living, considering we're all surrounded by blue lit technology, basically day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, right? I mean, I'm looking at my own computer screen and I also do have an iPad and my cell phone here. So I'm already surrounded by three screens. And so to mitigate any potential stress, of course I use blue light blockers as well, but you can use red light, red and near infrared light to combat that potential damage to your eyes and to your retinas and so forth. So very powerful, non-invasive, safe tool to use to mitigate damage from blue lit technology. That wraps up the the research for eye health. As you can see, robust, very robust research on eye health. That doesn't even include a newer piece of research that came out several months ago or late last year, late 2021, showing that doing a brief three or five minute exposure to red light in the morning once a week led to a statistically significant increase in visual acuity. And I think that included color acuity. Let's say you did a Monday morning and it had to be in the morning because they did the, the same piece of research, but they did it in the afternoon and they got zero benefit. So that was also what was cool about this piece of research is that showed that timing does matter for mitochondria, at least in the eye. Let's say you did a Monday morning, a five minute exposure to red light. Those benefits would last for a whole week. The improvements in visual and color acuity, they would last for a whole week. And then you could do it again the next Monday, five minutes, brief exposure, and then you get those eye benefits for an entire week. So pretty darn cool. Regardless, just know that the potential for improving or mitigating or even reversing certain eye health conditions can be accomplished with the correct dosage with red light therapy, red and near-infrared light. Let's travel on to the next topic, fat loss. And this is another common one. Who wouldn't want to increase a little bit of uh, adipose tissue loss just in time for beach season? As I like to say, it's always beach season, so (laughs) we could always be benefiting from this. Let's move on to the first section here. Whether it is a byproduct of your weight loss goals or you just want to look good at the beach, fat loss is on everybody's to-do list. But fat loss can be one of the toughest goals to accomplish. And so stubborn fat is difficult to lose for several reasons. Number one, stubborn fat has poor blood circulation. This makes it difficult for the fat cells to dump their fats into the bloodstream for energy. Number two, fat stores become hypersensitive to insulin. So once muscle cells become desensitized to insulin, the body shuttles the calories you eat to your fat cells where there is unlimited storage. Number three, Receptors in fat cells cause them to become more resistant to releasing fat. 
So stubborn fat has a higher density of alpha-2 receptors, and this inhibits fat burning and blood flow to the fat tissue. So it has a higher density of alpha-2 receptors compared to beta receptors, and beta receptors facilitate fat burning and blood flow to fat tissues. And so enter red light therapy, where numerous studies demonstrate that red light therapy positively affects both blood circulation and stimulating the release of fatty acids from the fat tissue. This means that fat will actually come off your body. Looking into the research, not nearly as robust as as eye health, but still some pretty profound pieces of scientific literature. The first one here is from 2006. It says, A group of 20 women riding stationary bicycles three times per week for four weeks while being exposed to near-infrared light lost an average of 444% more fat as compared to 20 women doing the same exercise without near-infrared. So again, I mean, that's wild. So 40 women were riding stationary bicycles. 20 of them exposed themselves to near-infrared because again, not red because you need the light to penetrate the skin to get to the fat tissue. So they used near-infrared. And then the other 20 did not use near-infrared, but the same exercise, stationary bicycle. And the 20 women using light lost 444% more fat compared to their counterparts. So that's wild. Personally, what I do for a stationary bike I have down in my basement, I'll use that especially during the winter, but in the summer, fall and spring, I do like to do some running or trail running. So I get outside and get some sunlight that way. But when I do use the stationary bicycle, I do expose my midsection to the near infrared light. And my body fat percentage is pretty low as is, but I'm just helping kind of maintain that low body fat. I wouldn't be necessarily a case study or someone who could say, wow, I lost so much fat with red light therapy, but I'm just doing it for maintaining the fat loss. And then of course, all the mitochondrial benefits that come along with being exposed to the near infrared light on a consistent basis. But regardless, not about me, let's move on to this piece of research from 2013. Research has shown that LLLT is effective in reducing overall body circumference measurements of specifically treated regions, including the hips, waist, thighs, and upper arms, with recent studies demonstrating that long-term effectiveness of results. The treatment is painless, and there appears to be no adverse events associated with LLLT. That last sentence is kind of funny because we all know that, but they were using lasers. And the point being, it's nice to know you can have fat loss without necessarily having to go under surgery or go under the knife to see results. So, yep, red light therapy, it is painless. And according to the ocean that is filled with photobiomodulation research, there are no negative consequences and there are no contraindications with red light therapy, which is, of course, as you guys know, One of my favorite reasons that people should be using red light therapy because it's so low risk and it's so high reward as it relates to health and wellness. But this last piece of research from 2011 says that low-level laser therapy achieved safe and significant girth loss sustained with cumulative treatments of eight treatments over a four-week period, so two times a week. The girth loss from the waist gave clinically and statistically significant cosmetic improvement You know, according to uh, this piece of research, they saw two treatments per week for one month. They saw statistically significant girth loss or fat loss. 
So again, got to use near infrared for that, not red light if you want to see uh, some fat loss. But moving on to our next section, hair health. And this is another common one. Who doesn't want, not even if you're losing hair, but thinning hair, just want more healthy, luscious hair. There's plenty of research to back this up. But let's move on to the first section here. Male and female pattern hair loss is a common chronic dermatologic disorder. Male pattern hair loss affects 50% of men by 50 years of age, and the frequency and the severity increases with age. Male or female pattern hair loss may be accompanied by psychosocial consequences, including decreased quality of life and poor body image. To better understand how red light therapy can help prevent hair loss and promote hair regrowth, it helps to understand the three main phases of hair growth. The first one is called anagen, and this is the growth phase for hair. The second one is catagen, and this is the transition of the hair upwards towards the skin pore. And then we have the telogen phase, which is where the blood supply to the hair follicle fully separates and growth ends. So we have anagen, catagen, telogen. And so red and near-infrared light apparently promotes the transition of hair follicles from the telogen phase, again where the growth stops, back to the anagen phase or the growth phase, which facilitates increased duration in the growth phase and thus hair growth. So essentially you're taking uh, hair follicles that were transitioning or into the telogen phase and you're pulling them back into that growth phase or that anagen phase. So you're not only increasing the life of the hair follicle, but you're promoting hair health. You're increasing their, the circumference or, or I should say the diameter of the hair. Thus, you're not losing as much hair and you're not thinning. So it's pretty darn cool. Not only that, red light therapy can also increase the growth rate in the antigen phase while disallowing premature catagen phases, leading to a healthier head of hair. Other mechanisms by which red light therapy may help hair health includes improving particular growth factors, modulating inflammation, improving health and efficiency of mitochondrial functioning, and or positive effects on nitric oxide levels and blood flow to the area. Those two go hand in hand. Of course, if you improve nitric oxide levels, you're gonna have better blood flow. So it makes sense. And there's a pretty decent amount of research here for red light therapy or photobiomodulation in hair health. Uh, this first piece of research is from 2016. And it says, the majority of studies covered in this review found an overall improvement in hair regrowth, thickness, and patient satisfaction following LLLT therapy. The next piece of research from 2014 says, our results suggest that LLLT treatment may be an effective option to treat pattern hair loss in both men and women. Third piece of research from 2014, subjects receiving LLLT at 655 nanometers, red light, achieved a 37% increase in hair counts as compared to sham-treated control patients in this multi-center randomized controlled trial. And the last piece of research here from 2017, it says, LLLT appears to be a safe alternative treatment for patients with androgenic alopecia. Clinical trials have indicated efficacy for androgenic alopecia in both men and women. Most of the research showing that you got to use red light because the hair follicles are basically in the skin layers, epidermis and dermis. So you want to use red light to promote this hair growth or this improvement in hair health. Let's move on to heart health. 
And it's interesting that there isn't more research or more information on photobiomodulation and heart health because, of course, with the heart being one of the most energy-intensive tissues in our body, it is very, very mitochondrial dense. Thus, with the proper dosage, it definitely should be responding positively to red light therapy. And as you could guess, you wouldn't be using red light specifically. It would have to be near-infrared because, again, near-infrared treats tissues deeper than the skin. But again, I think as time goes on, more and more research will come out with different diseases or different health conditions as it relates to heart health and how red light therapy can help. In the current edition of the Red Light Therapy Treatment Protocols ebook, I don't have any treatment protocols for heart health. And it's for the reasons I just uh, laid out there that there just isn't enough research for me to develop any specific protocols. As I'm currently going through developing the fourth edition, I'm going to scour the research and see if there's enough research now to develop any protocols for heart health. And of course, there's, there's a laundry list of heart health conditions. So I need enough substantial research for a particular condition so I can make a legitimate protocol. But uh, unfortunately, at this time, there just isn't enough. But regardless, let's go through what information there is and the several articles that I have available here. And it's just good to note that, like I discussed at the top of this section, the heart is very mitochondrial dense, so it should, in theory, benefit from red light therapy. So if you're wanting to use your device for your heart, then by all means, like I discussed, using near-infrared, using a typical dosage like you would for you know muscles or, or bones, I think would be adequate. But let's move on to the section here about heart health. A persistent myocardial blood reduction may result in myocardial infarction. The ischemic myocardium has irreversible injury, which generates cardiac remodeling to maintain blood supply. The cardiac remodeling after MI, or myocardial infarction, is a complex condition, and different therapies can prevent or prolong the development of heart failure. Current therapies are marked by modest results in survival and potential adverse effects. So far, there have only been animal studies on red light therapy's effect on heart health and heart repair after cardiac events and post-surgery. However, the research that is available consistently demonstrates that red light therapy is effective at reducing inflammation wherever mitochondria are present, which is everywhere. So not surprisingly, mitochondria are most dense in areas where the most energy is required, such as the brain, heart, and muscles. Studies have reported a significant reduction in mitochondrial energy and increased ATP production, or energy production, in the infarcted area of the heart. Thus, these findings are suggestive that red light therapy can reduce myocardial injury by increasing energy supply. And of course, the three main pillars of uh, red light therapy is that it helps reduce inflammation, improves circulation, and optimizes mitochondrial function or its ability to produce energy. So it would be no different for the heart. And looking at the research here, we have four articles. The first one here from 2012 says, the results of our study indicate an important systemic immunomodulatory effect of LLLT. There was a systemic 61.3% reduction in IL-6 levels, which is a measurement of inflammation. So a significant reduction in inflammation with red light therapy. 
this piece of research, this one is sweetened to the point from 2001. Infarcted rats showed less myocardial necrosis with phototherapy. Rats with heart failure had less tissue death or less heart muscle death when phototherapy was utilized. The next one here from 2012. Considering the importance of inflammatory activation and its systemic and local impact on skeletal muscles in heart failure, a safe, simple, and inexpensive strategy such as LLLT could be used as a new non-pharmacological form of treatment for the pro-inflammatory state in heart failure syndrome. So that piece of research alone brings up a lot of good points. First of all, pointing out that red light therapy is safe, simple, and inexpensive, and then it doesn't have the negative consequences of potential pharmacological intervention. Of course, there is a time and place for pharmacological intervention, but there is typically an associated laundry list of negative side effects. So if something as simple as light that can be safe, simple, less expensive than surgery or pharmacological intervention, then why the heck not? And the research shows that that could certainly be the case. But again, we need more research to show that that is truly the case. At worst, it can play a very pivotal role as a comprehensive form of treatment where you integrate maybe surgery and you can use red light therapy post-surgery to accelerate the process. Of course, pharmacological or medications have their place, you know, couple that with some cardio rehab and you're on your way. So I think it will be not in the too distant future where we see photobiomodulation integrated into a comprehensive plan of care for patients dealing with heart conditions. But moving on to the last piece of research here for heart health uh, from 2014. It says, considering the data presented herein and the current state of knowledge regarding the anti-inflammatory efficacy of LLLT, we conclude that LLLT may exert beneficial effects to the myocardium after myocardial infarction. So red light therapy may exert positive effects to the heart muscle after a heart attack. I'm just going to even read this note that I have in the ebook under suggested protocol for heart health, I go on to say that the lack of knowledge regarding the dosimetry or the, the dosages required to achieve the maximal efficiency of red light therapy is yet to be determined and elucidated. The suggested use of red light therapy for the heart will be updated once future research ascertains definite dosages for improving heart health. With that, Let's move on to herpes, and this will be the last section for today. And this is one of the newest sections I've added to the ebook, and I will uh, soon be adding to the BioLite website. But let's move on to the informational section, and we'll start with herpes zoster virus, or HZV. HZV infection is the clinical pathological condition caused by reactivation of latent chickenpox, or varicella zoster virus, from the sensory ganglia as a primary infection. After the primary infection, this virus becomes latent. Sometimes up to a decade later, the virus may reactivate either spontaneously or after a number of triggering factors to cause herpes zosters, or herpes zoster, which is shingles, which usually appears as painful or pruritic cutaneous vascular eruptions that occur in characteristic dermatonal distribution. Varicella and its complications are more severe in immunosuppressed individuals. Factors that decrease immune function, such as 
human immunodeficiency virus infection, chemotherapy, malignancies, trauma, surgery, and chronic corticosteroid use may also react with HZV. Antimicrobial photodynamic therapy, which includes photobiomodulation, has been indicated as a promising modality in the treatment of potential infectious lesions. This is partly attributable to the known attractive basic concept of combining a photosensitizing drug and light, which are relatively harmless by themselves, but combined, and in the presence of oxygen, ultimately cause more or less selective lesion destruction. And then we have herpes simplex virus. And herpes simplex is a viral disease caused by herpes simplex virus type 1, or HSV1, and HSV2. Most middle-aged individuals have antibodies to HSV in their serum, and about a third of the world population has a recurrence of HSV infection. Reactivation of the virus in the sensory ganglion causes recurrent herpetic infection in the skin and mucosa. This viral reactivation can be spontaneous or caused by several local or systemic factors. All stages of HSV replication cycle offer potential targets for direct-acting antiviral therapy. However, this therapy may not have an effect or may not have the desired effect due to the emergence of drug-resistant mutant viruses. Considering the rise of drug resistance, research is underway to find other methods to eliminate HSV. Photobiomodulation represents a potentially useful method for the treatment of HSV infections. Photobiomodulation should be used in the crust phase and has a fundamental role in improving modulation of inflammatory processes, immediate pain relief, acceleration of tissue repair, and decreasing the time between recurrences. And there's a decent amount of research here, so let's dig in. This first piece of research is from 2021, and they say that the case reported here demonstrated that the treatment of recurrent herpes with PDT, which is photodynamic therapy, and photobiomodulation provided rapid healing, absence of pain sensitivity, in addition to having no side effects. The next piece of research from 2020 they say, based on the results, it was found that antimicrobial photodynamic therapy associated with photobiomodulation therapy for the treatment of herpes simplex labialis could be an effective form of treatment because the non-invasive treatment modality does not cause resistance and can act on the vesicle stage to provide relief to patients. And the next piece is also from 2020. The treatment with low-intensity laser for both antimicrobial photodynamic therapy and light irradiation was effective and safe, resulting in decontamination and healing of the area of the affected lesion and improvement in the signs and symptoms of herpes zoster virus. This one from 2013. We were able to show that the patients treated with LED phototherapy achieved faster healing and lower mean visual analog scores, or pain scores, from day four compared to the control group. The last piece of research here from 2018. Clinical recommendation. LED near-infrared treatment significantly and consistently reduced healing time by at least two days in patients with herpes simplex virus and herpes zoster virus. So a lot of ways the red light therapy can work here, like, like the research is mentioning. It can accelerate the healing time. It can accelerate or reduce the time 
of the healing process, reduce inflammation, reduce pain, so on and so forth. So there's there's a lot of great uses in the case of, of herpes, which can be, of course, just a notoriously difficult, persistent uh, condition to be dealing with. So it's great to hear that something as non-invasive, safe and effective as red light therapy uh, can benefit that condition. With that, with the herpes section, we're going to end today's solo sode. We covered some great sections today as a review. We covered eye health, fat loss, hair health, heart health, and herpes. Looking into the next solo sode, we will be covering inflammation, immune system, oral health, and pain. So those are going to be some big ones, especially inflammation. Um, Well, all four of them really, inflammation, immune system, oral health, and pain. Uh, A lot of great use cases for red light therapy there that we'll cover in the next solo sode. But again, guys, as always, I would love and appreciate every single one of you if you would take a quick moment to go to either Apple Podcast or Spotify, if that's what you use for podcast, and simply leave a five-star review. That way, this podcast can get viewed and exposed to more people so that they can learn and begin utilizing red light therapy in the many ways it can help and improve their health and wellness. So sharing is caring. Please go ahead and leave a five-star review on your favorite platform. I would be extremely grateful. But for this week, guys, that's all I got. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're learning. I hope it's not too many words being thrown at you in a, in a boring fashion. I hope it is at least somewhat educational and applicable. But we'll keep trudging along in future solo sodes, keep getting through these different health sections and cover the many, many ways that red light therapy can benefit you and your health wellness, and longevity. But for this week, I'm going to sign off, guys, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, your week, and or weekend, whatever the time of the week it is, and I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Red Light Report. If you like what you heard today, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes and other podcast platforms to help spread the word so other people can learn about the many health, wellness, and longevity benefits of red light therapy. If you're looking for more educational content, check out our Instagram page at biolite.shop and our YouTube channel, Biolite. I'm Dr. Mike Belkowski, and I'll see you on the next episode.